Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Welcome back, everyone, to Food Therapy Podcast. Today, we have Nicholas Salmon, who is a fat-positive fertility coach and author of Fat and Fertile. She helps fat folks navigate getting pregnant in a weight-obsessed world and advocates for change in how fat people are treated while accessing help with their fertility. Nicola uses her unique fat-positive framework to support people in finding their own version of health without diets, advocate for their bodies, relearn how to trust their body and believe in their ability to get pregnant. So welcome. We are truly so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a joy. Such a joy. So, you know, I would love to hear first your story, how you got into this space. It's a space that is so needed, but I often think is kind of ignored. People don't even really recognize some of the inequities in our healthcare system, especially when it comes to women, especially when it comes to fertility. So I would love to hear, you know, how you kind of started this journey. Yeah, of course. So my journey started when I was 16. So like over 20 years ago now, I was diagnosed with PCOS, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is like a hormonal and metabolic condition, which meant that my periods were super irregular. I had acne, I had hair in places that I didn't want it. It was not an ideal teenage life. Um, But the doctor, when she diagnosed me with PCOS, told me that I wouldn't be able to have kids. So I was navigating my late teens and my 20s, expecting it to be really difficult to become a parent. And also they told me that weight loss was the way you cured PCOS. You know, it's pretty standard advice. At that point, there was no internet, no Google I could search. You know, I really didn't have any other sources of information on, you know, how it would impact me, what it was going to be like. I didn't know anybody else who had PCOS. So it was just kind of this really weird thing that I had to navigate alone. Um, So, yeah, I spent the majority of my teens and 20s hating my body, thinking that nobody would love me because I couldn't become a mother Um, just having a really, really poor relationship with my body and doing all kinds of horrible things to it to, you know, try and make it smaller. And then eventually I met my husband. We got married. We decided that we wanted to start trying to have kids. Um, And I was expecting it to be really difficult because I've been told this. I also had 100 plus day cycles with my PCOS. Um, I was in a bigger body. So I was like, okay, well, this is never going to work, right? This is you know, I'm just going to have to do IVF. We're going to have a really, really difficult road ahead of us. But we didn't. We got pregnant really quickly uh, with our first son. And I had a completely unremarkable pregnancy. But I spent the whole time feeling really anxious about it because I was expecting every single thing to go wrong because that's what I was told. I was told that I would get gestational diabetes, that I would have preeclampsia, that there'd be problems with my birth. And that's what I anticipated. So it wasn't this dream time that I was expecting it to be. Um, And then we got pregnant with my second son really quickly as well. And I was just like, 
how is this happening? Like, you know, I was so grateful. I was so pleased. Um, but I was just, I don't understand. And it kind of planted the seed that I thought, okay, well, if it was so easy for me, you know, I had completely irregular cycles. Like why, why are we being told that it's going to be difficult for folks? And, you know, I feel so honored to have it been so easy for me because it's given me that place and that platform and that kind of groundedness to be able to speak out for other folks who it's not easy for because I know in a parallel universe that that would be me struggling um, and I feel really really honored to be able to speak on behalf of the folks who can't have these very vulnerable and difficult conversations because they are in the midst of it and they are in the kind of grips of diet culture and feeling like they have to make their bodies smaller in order to access care because that is unfortunately the reality of the fertility industry right now and it is you know, when I got into fertility work, so I trained as an acupuncturist and a naturopath and then as a coach. Um, so I've been doing fertility work for quite a long time. And when I had my own realization around, you know, like, I don't want to lose weight anymore and I don't want to diet and exercise anymore. It just shook me how many conversations in the fertility world are around diet and food and weight loss and how kind of insepid it is in that industry of like, everybody has to be this ideal weight and everybody has to be you know, eating the perfect foods and it's just everywhere. Like nobody can escape it. Not even folks in smaller bodies. And what's also so interesting too, is I find that infertility people hyper-focus on those in larger bodies when really what's so problematic are people who are chronically dieting at a much lower weight than what their body is meant to be at. And maybe they haven't been menstruating. And so it's kind of like, again, we're focusing on weight, but on one side of the spectrum, and we're kind of ignoring this other side of the spectrum, which is also where we see some issues, you know, with fertility. Absolutely. I mean, when folks are looking at their fertility, they often like hyper-focus on these things that they can control. So obviously like fertility feels completely out of control when they can't get pregnant. And so focusing on movement and food helps them get a sense of control back. But it, you know, it comes at a cost and it's a cost of like, you know, your sanity and a cost of like, you know, not often having a sense of really what your body needs in order to get pregnant and that nutrition, because so many people for the majority of their lives have been dieting in one form or another, regardless of their body size, like dieting is so prevalent in every aspect of people of all body sizes. So it's, right. we don't have a real sense of what, like, how much enough food is for us to be able to sustain a, a pregnancy and be able to go on and support our menstrual cycles and all these other things. Yes, of course. And, you know, Lauren and I both aren't quite at the stage where we're even thinking about children yet, but at the same time, seeing a lot of my friends go through this, people pretty much do about anything if they think that they can get a child. Mm -hmm. And so if a doctor goes to them and says, you just need to lose weight, no one's going to fight that because they're just so desperate to be able to get pregnant. And so it's really attacking this like very vulnerable population of people who are just so, you know, desperately wanting to be able to conceive. Mm, absolutely. And the problem with that is that we know that age is a factor. So we know that, you know, the longer it takes, the more difficult it becomes. So folks, when they're told that weight loss is the only option, they're going to want to do that as quickly as possible, right? They're going to want to get that result as fast as they humanly can. And we know through the research that going on things like very low calorie diets and other forms of serious restriction actually has a negative impact on fertility and actually can do more harm than good. So it's, it's finding this place of, of supporting folks in a way that 
is nurturing and supportive and not you know like sending them down these spirals where it's so negative you know has such negative implications on their physical and mental and emotional health yes and you mentioned research what does the research actually say about pcos you know people in bigger bodies what does that all look like so it's very very gray mm-hmm. <laughs> is the easiest way to say it so there is such a mix of research in this topic and it's really it's really hard to navigate because science is only as good as the people have done it and there is so much bias in science when it comes to fatness and fat bodies um, so it's really hard to navigate what is the bias and what is the actual results of any studies or any kind of, um, you know, like papers and things like that. It's quite difficult to like really figure out what's the actual research showing, what is just clouded by bias. So a really good example that I did was that I did a deep dive into some of the research around pregnancy loss and BMI. And what I found was that there was roughly a third of papers that showed that was a correlation. So there was a link. So there's as higher BMIs went up, the risk or chance of, um, of pregnancy loss happening increased as well. But there was also a third that showed that there maybe was a link, but it was not statistically significant, which meant that we couldn't, couldn't get anything from that. And also about a third of the papers that showed that there was no link, that there was no correlation at all. So the research isn't black and white. There is no like binary of like, it definitely shows this. There was absolutely also no causation. So we don't have any mechanisms by which this is happening. We don't have any, you know, biological pathways that we're following that show that actually what's happening is this body's causing this to happen. Like that doesn't exist. We don't know what that is. And actually when you're given this body of research, the researchers are going, okay, well then obviously higher BMI equals higher risk. But majority of the research doesn't show that. And a lot of the research doesn't doesn't take into account things like weight stigma and things like weight cycling and the actual lived experience of a fat person going through that, because that has such a huge impact on that. And it's just not reflected in the research. Research is so hard in, I mean, nutrition in in general, uh, because first of all, you're if you're studying real humans, like you, you can only control it so much. Right. Um, and I feel like there's this narrative out there where, you know, you, you mentioned causation versus like the correlation. So often they take the correlation and to the general public, they don't know the difference of what that really means. So it's like, okay, bigger body, you know, more pregnancy loss or whatever it is, but there's literally no research the same way with health. I think when we had um, Maggie Lanz on, uh, she was talking about how there is not one research study that actually shows causation of a bigger body causing, you know, an adverse health outcome, chronic disease. Yeah. So it's so interesting. That's such an important point to make that causation is, has never really even been shown in the research. It's wild, isn't it? And then we have all these huge, like, global political, you know, movements and agendas going on. But actually, the research to show it, it's just, it's just not there. It's, it's wild to me. Really is. And you know, I, I wanted to discuss a little bit more about how weight stigma shows up in the fertility world. Um, you know, whether it's like lived experience or by working with the population that you do work with, I'm, I would love for our listeners to really understand like how weight stigma can appear in fertility and healthcare. Mm, there are so many ways 
the biggest and most obvious is access to healthcare. So, so many folks will go to see their doctor and be like, okay, you know, we've been trying for a little while, nothing's happening. Can we get some, you know, like tests to just have a look and see what's going on? And the doctor will be like, nope, come back when you've lost X pounds, X kilograms, and then we can do these tests. So that is like straight off the bat, they can't access those tests. Um, and then if, you know, maybe eventually they advocate for those tests or they go, you know, somewhere else and try and advocate and find them or, you know, kind of find a different company to support them. Um, if they need something like a treatment, so something like test, something to help them induce ovulation or IVF, then a lot of places will have a BMI restriction based on that. So in the UK, we have a general kind of blanket 30, BMI 30 for most folks to be able to access support. Um, in the US, it's a bit more generous, but still a lot of the clinics will have a BMI limit of you know 40 or 50 um, and above that, they won't treat you. So it is just, you know, you cannot access the care. And often insurance will, you know, say you cannot access it based on your size. And there are so many ways in which it restricts it from a really basic access point. That's crazy, too, because I mean, I didn't even know about this, but also, I mean, just the bias in general that you face. Right. Mm -hmm. Not only like that's actually logistical, like, okay, you can't even access it. But on top of it, the stigma and the bias is, I mean, I would imagine just so taxing within itself. It's huge. And something I always, you know, if a client feels comfortable enough to say this, but when a doctor just gives a blanket statement of, you know, you just need to lose weight, I invite them to ask the doctor, like, what recommendation would you give if I was in a smaller body? Because they're not going to tell a female with, you know, who's in a small frame to lose weight, to get pregnant, you know? So it's, it's just so interesting how, for whatever reason, even though the research truly is not there, weight loss becomes the answer for just about everything, Mm -hmm. you know, headaches, gastric problems, like you name it weight loss is prescribed break your arm (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly you know like you said like there is a much bigger component in terms of like the shame and the judgment around this as well like so many folks will be in that appointment and will just kind of go into this state of like okay well I've just got to agree with what I'm saying like I've got to do as I'm told now because they've been put into this spiral of shame and they go out of that appointment and they feel like they are the worst person in the world that, you know, they cannot provide their partner. If they're doing this with a partner, a child, they can't provide their parents with grandchildren. Like it is such a huge emotional strain on them. And it is such, you know, going into these appointments and having to like advocate yourself for yourself. is such an emotional labor that those folks shouldn't have to do. It should not be their job to, to force their doctors to give them the care that they should be able to access in the first place. So yeah, it's it's really about meeting people where they're at because some people just not feel safe to be able to to have these difficult conversations with their doctors, and it's it's right. it's such a difficult place for them to to be in. It's a it's a really hard space to navigate. Yes, and so I'm curious, you know, how you help your clients, and you know how you kind of help them navigate this very diet centric fertility world from a place of, you know, non-diet work and, you know, not focusing on weight and not focusing on dieting. Mm, So it's really the first thing that I like to do with folks is to help them find a place where they feel worthy of accessing that care. Because for so long, these folks have often felt like, okay, well, that's what I deserve. You know, if I can't lose the weight, then I don't deserve to get the care. So it's about really 
looking at where those beliefs came from, really questioning, you know, are these, do you really believe these? Are these you know, important to you? And what can we change about your beliefs in order to help you and support you in getting pregnant? So it's about helping people really find a place where they believe that they're actually worthy of that support and advocating for that care and coming at it from a place of, yes, I should be able to access all the care I need in order to get pregnant. And I am fully deserving of becoming a parent at this size. Um, but, you know, beyond that, we we look at ways that they can support their health, but without weight loss and diet. So we look at health promoting behaviours and ways that we can just meet them where they're at, you know, recognising that some folks won't have a perfect picture of health like we perceive it in the magazines. Like health is a completely personal thing and we need to recognise that, you know, some folks are going to be have chronic illnesses and disabilities that aren't, that mean they're not going to be able to access health in the way that we might see it. Um, and then also looking at, you know, supporting people with advocacy. And I do that in lots of different ways. So I will contact clinics on their behalf, help them find a clinic that might be more supportive and, um, and fat positive. So like not focusing on diets or weight loss. And if we can't find that, you know, I could have conversations with their doctors or help them navigate that and give them the research to have those conversations if they feel able to. So it's like a whole host of different ways that we try and, and kind of battle it in a way that feels supportive and they feel that they've got the tools they need to to fight for the care that they deserve. Yeah, I mean, hearing everything you said, it, it just, it's support. Yeah, And it's support that so... I would imagine so many women, especially those who do face, you know, discrimination in healthcare are not receiving. And so being able to have that safe space is so important. And also like when we're talking about fertility, like all that added stress of even walking into your doctor's office because you are afraid of feeling judged or, you know, afraid of what they're going to say, like that is additional stress that is just constantly being added. So that's that's the thing that's doing the harm, right? Correct. Yes. On top of something that is already so stressful, fertility in general, right? Uh, What do you say to someone who is, you know, they don't have someone like you, they don't have a coach, like, what do you recommend they go out and do if they are, you know, in a bigger body, they're struggling and they're just, they just keep being told to lose weight. So it's about finding the care and the support that they can access, you know, finding their own version of that. So whether that's, you know, if, whether that's just finding lots of free resources online, if that's all they're financially able to access. Um, you know, I share a lot on my Instagram page so that I hope that you know, I'm not gatekeeping this information and people can find it and access it and use it. You know, I share a lot of the research and things on my blog as well. And, you know, anybody that you can find that's going to support your health and well-being in a non-judgmental and non-diet way, I think is going to be a really useful, you know, adjunct to your health and support. And if you can't access that, finding a friend that you know is not going to just go, hey, have you tried this weight loss program or this, you know, diety thing? Like, just finding someone that you can talk to about this and you know is not going to judge and shame you, I think is a really helpful step in navigating that space. Yeah, I would imagine it's just so hard. You just want to feel heard, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's so hard to find someone that will make you feel heard that's not aware of all the things that go on in healthcare in terms of body size and how it's actually not a real thing that you have to be a certain size, right? Because it's just been ingrained in our heads for so long. 
that's it. And it is constantly unlearning that, that kind of narrative that we've been taught. And unfortunately for folks, like you can't just go one day, okay, yeah, I'm going to unlearn it all. And that's it. It's all gone. Like we still have to live in this world and we're still going to be constantly bombarded with it. And when you do get pregnant, like it doesn't stop there. Like going through pregnancy, you know, you're still going to come up with these challenges. You're still going to face discrimination. Um, and it's just something that, you know, unfortunately we need to learn the tools how to build resilience against it rather than, you know, moving away to a magic bubble where it doesn't exist. Right. Right. Yeah. I like the idea of building resiliency. This kind of goes off of Lauren's question. I feel like you, you probably answered most of it, but how can people advocate for themselves? And so you mentioned, of course, like finding that safe person, finding that safe place, but especially in the healthcare world, how can someone advocate for themselves when they may not have access to, you know, health at every size providers or providers who just won't do harm or won't cause harm at the very least? Yeah. So the way that I help people try and remember it is I use the words prepare and care. So I help. So I, you know, I recommend people do as much preparation as they can in going into appointments. So thinking about what they want to get out of that appointment, thinking about any questions they have, building up a body of research if they've got the capacity to do that, um, you know, that supports what they want and what they want to get out of that appointment, uh, writing it all down, taking it all in with them, making sure that they are in the best space they can, taking a partner if that feels good, to have somebody with you. So preparing as much as you're able to and finding a doctor that you think is going to give you the best chance to get what you need out of that. And then caring. So making sure that you take the time to look after yourself after their appointment, because it's so energetically draining. It can be so exhausting. So making sure that you have got space in your diary so you don't have to go straight back to work. Make sure you've got the time to process that, whatever way that works for you, whether that's talking about it, writing it out, whatever you need to do in order to do that. And just finding a way to navigate that and honor the, the exhaustion and the energy that that takes to do. And it just takes practice. Like we are not taught how to advocate for ourselves. These are skills we do not get taught in school. So it's things we just have to learn, practice, try, see what works for us and keep trying. It's also hard because I find that we're kind of brought up to think that doctors are God. And I, I, you know, listen, I have so much respect for physicians and the work that they do. But at the end of the day, no one is perfect. No one knows all the answers. And it's so important to be able to advocate for ourselves. And of course, you know, it's easier for me to say this. I have been privileged. I'm in a smaller body and it's, I can imagine it's much harder for someone who is again, facing all that bias and discrimination, but it is just so, so important to be able to advocate for ourselves. And also, even if it's hard for you to advocate for yourself in that moment, acknowledge like, this person doesn't know everything and they're not going to get everything right all the time. So it's something that I feel like I've kind of had to figure out over the years, because again, I really do think that we're taught that doctors know all and they don't, you know, no one's perfect and no one has all the answers. And it should be a team effort, right? Like this is your house. You know, I talk a lot about body autonomy. So it's absolutely your decision what you do with your health. Your doctor cannot tell you that you have to do something, that you can't do something. Like it, it's 
you should be able to co-create that team so that you have, you know, they're there for their expertise and their experience. And you get to decide what to do with that information, whether you access treatment and care or whether you decline it. Like that should be your choice. And the problem is that people aren't given that option. They're, you know, infantilized. They're told that they, oh, you know, they're not responsible enough. They can't make these decisions. And they, those choices are taken away from them. Right. Yeah. And Brittany, that's such a good point. I mean, everything in society, even like, like as just growing up, I mean, even just like coming into adulthood, it like freaks me out how I'm like, wait, like cops are just normal people. Like, yeah, parents, parents are normal people. Parents. I'm like, wait, you like cry. Like I thought thought (laughs) you were like a superhero and doctors are the same way. And like Brittany and I both have had, you know, experience working clinically in the hospitals and whatnot. And they really are just people like, and honestly, the patients that have the best experience is when not saying that dietitians are like, and I'll be all, but when you involve us, things usually go better, right. Or other people on the team, it's not just like, you know, the doctors prescribing every single thing. It's when you are consulting the rest of the team, the physical therapist, the dietitian, like things just go better because we all have our own expertise and they're just humans. They can't be expected to know everything. And one thing to add to that is providing compassionate care. Yes. And, you know, I'm not sure how healthcare works in the UK, but here in the US, it's fast, fast, fast. Getting it out, you know, you know, insurance, it's everything. You're not really looking at the full person and it's not the doctor's fault. It's the way the system is created. So you don't have time to sit down with a patient and hear them and hear their experiences. And that's so unfortunate. And so I think what's often missing is that compassionate care because of the time constraints. And it's, you know, we cannot work under those conditions often. Like it's not, it doesn't give people enough time to be able to share everything that's going on. So the doctor can, you know, like really fully assess the situation. And yeah, it's really hard to, remember that doctors are in this system too of diet culture right like they're probably on a diet or they're probably you know worrying about their weight and it's it's really hard to separate the people from their profession I think so I wanted to go back to when you were saying some healthy behaviors or some health promoting behaviors that someone can engage in because I find when people are coming out of diet culture, so many of those behaviors are linked to weight loss and dieting. And so if you can maybe share what some of those health promoting behaviors or behaviors that may, you know, just make someone feel better and improve chance of fertility, what that would look like. Yeah. I mean, it's super simple and I always meet people where they're at, but the first three questions that I always tend to ask folks are, are you eating enough? So making sure that the diet rules and the weight loss rules that they've been kind of trying to go, you know, it really, it really biases like how you see food and the thing that you think is enough. So I like just encourage people to be eating enough food, regardless of what it is. It really doesn't matter. It's just getting enough and then finding a way to move their bodies in a way that feels good. And that's completely, again, personal, you know, if they've, not done much movement it's about getting out and doing the five minute ten minute walk it's about just meeting people where they're at and what's going to be helpful for them in that moment and then rest getting enough rest making sure that they are getting enough good quality sleep and finding time to wind down from like work and especially at the moment in the current like 
environment that we're in, like so many people, work-life balances are really blurred and those boundaries are really difficult to navigate. So it's really about helping people try and prioritize their needs basically above everybody else's needs. Boundaries, self-care, you know, all the things that we don't think can really help us, but are so important. Yeah. And that is really what it comes down to. Like I always try and explain to folks like your fertility isn't this like separate view of the reproductive organs that we so often see in textbooks. Like it's in there mushed up with your stomach and your kidneys and your liver and everything else. And it's all so interdependent and it's all so, you know, everything has a ripple effect on everything else. So anything that you do, that's going to make you feel better, give you more energy, make you feel good in your body. That is the stuff that's going to help with your fertility. Yes. And I think taking off the pressure of like, okay, I'm going to do this behavior to lose weight without that outcome and separating yourself from it. It takes a lot of the stress off where it's like, okay, even if like, let's, let's have measurable outcomes that aren't weight loss. Like, okay, I'm having more energy. I'm feeling better. I, you know, have more endorphins circling in my brain, you know, all these different things, because when we attach it to weight loss, it just, it becomes such a demeaning process if you're not seeing those quote unquote results yeah absolutely and I think any result where they people can feel better in the moment and feel like their life is improved because of that is a good thing because you know this the goal of getting pregnant is always like a future goal it's never something that you can enjoy and relish in the present so finding ways for people to reconnect with themselves in the present and enjoy the life that they have now while still moving towards the goal that they really want, I find can be really helpful and important for folks. Definitely. I love that. And I, and I think also recognizing like you can be doing all these health promoting behaviors and that still doesn't mean, you know, it's not going to translate to a pregnancy either. Like there are so many factors involved. And I think at least you know, from spending time with friends of mine who are trying to get pregnant, there's so much shame because for so many of them, they're like, this is the one thing that I should be able to do. And when they see people get pregnant so easily, it's so hard because it's like, why is it so easy for them to do this? And yet, you know, I've been trying for a year or two years. And so even working on some of the shame and, you know, how that feels in your body, I'm sure could feel you know, could be really beneficial too. Yeah, because like you say, it's not all about health protavers and what you can control. There are so many things about this that are out of your control, you know, like physical factors. And sometimes, you know, like they just don't know what's going on and they don't know why things are happening. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's your body's fault. It doesn't mean that it's your weight's fault. It just means that, you know, you might need help and you should totally be able to access that help regardless of your body size. 100%. One of my last questions is any misconceptions you often hear in the fertility world that you haven't spoken about yet with us today? Oh, there are so many. So (laughs) where to start? So the first is like that it takes a lot longer to get pregnant in a bigger body. The research shows that it takes one to two months longer to get pregnant in a bigger body. And that's more than likely due to weight cycling, weight stigma, It's not like these years and years that these kind of doctors, you know, it'll take you so much longer. Um, What else? So some really good ones is that like the treatments are less effective for folks in bigger bodies. And what's actually going on there is that in all those studies that show it's less effective, they're not giving people the right dose. So 
fat bodies often need higher doses of medication. We know that from oral contraception. We know that from you know, abortive medications. We know that from so many other medications. But the studies decided that it was a good idea to give everybody the same, regardless of their body size. But when they do that, when they personalize the dose, the outcomes are the same. Pregnancy rates are the same. Um, so it's really important to realize that it is just as effective for fat bodies and also just as safe. Like so many doctors will refuse care based on BMI when they say it's unsafe for me to do X, Y, Z, or you'll get this higher thing. But actually all of the research shows that it is just as safe for folks in bigger bodies as well. Um, and another one of the things that they talk about is pregnancy risk and the risk of you getting things like gestational diabetes, pregnancy loss, preeclampsia. But again, you know, we've touched on that already that, the research is not black and white and absolutely you should be able to make an informed decision about your healthcare based on the information. So a really, really classic one is gestational diabetes. They'll say, oh, you know, you're definitely going to get gestational diabetes in your bigger body. Um, we know that the risk is five times higher. If we look at the research, it shows there's a risk. Um, so it goes from about 2% for folks in quote unquote normal bodies to about 10% for folks in the most in the highest BMI bracket. But still, that means that 90% of folks in the highest BMI bracket aren't getting gestational diabetes. And if it was a fat people problem, surely we would all be getting it. So it doesn't, yeah, it makes no sense. Um, and the final one that I think is really worth mentioning is this magic number of 5 to 10% of your body weight that um, fertility doctors will often state will be the thing that gets you pregnant. If you could just lose 5 to 10% of your body weight, which again, makes absolutely no sense because for someone with a much higher BMI, five to 10% of their body weight is still going to put them in a higher BMI bracket. So it, yeah, what's actually going on there is the health promoting behaviors, which is never kind of teased out of any weight loss research. And if folks um, often find that when they start changing things like habits and doing more health promoting behaviors, then that's the thing that will impact their fertility rather than any magic weight loss number that the doctor says they've got to lose. Right. Like it's not it, in the research. It's like, Oh, look, they lost weight. This is why they're having an easier time getting pregnant, but okay, well, they're just improving healthful behaviors. So, so interesting. This is such an eye-opening conversation. So thank you so much for being that voice and educating us. Cause honestly, I don't know much about fertility and obviously, you know, your, your voice in the fat positive space is, is so beneficial. Thank and you. I will say, I absolutely love, love, love your content on Instagram. So we will be sure to put the link in our show notes. Absolutely gave Nicola a follow. She is amazing and such a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, we're so grateful that you spent your Monday for you afternoon for us morning. <laughs> Chugging coffee, Brittany and I over here. Yes. I already <laughs> chugged mine. So it's empty. <laughs> Oh, it's been such a joy. Thank you so much for having me. One last thing. How can listeners work with you? Yeah. So if you head over to my Instagram, Fat Positive Fertility, then there's all the like content that I share over there. Um, I have a book, Fat and Fertile, which is a nice entry point for a lot of folks to kind of learn more about this work. And then I offer like a group program for people who want kind of more one-to-one -one support with me. So you can um, come and join a group where you get me, but you also get a community of other people who are going through you know, navigating this experience in a fat body, which I think is invaluable um, when you're going through this. That's amazing. I love the support of a group. Always. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.